Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya Georgetown basketball podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Bancroft, and I'm joined here by Nationwide Nolan, casual Hoya contributor. Nolan, what's up, man? Hi, Bobby. How's it going? We're almost there. College basketball is getting really close. We're almost into November. Um, but yeah, I wanted to have you on. So we're recording this Thursday night. Yesterday was Big East Media Day. Let me just go over a couple of topics and then we will dive in and hit them all. Um, so I participated in the virtual event that's normally held at MSG. Um, personally, I was able to listen to Commissioner Val Ackerman. I caught some of Ed Cooley and Marquette coach Steve Wojciechowski. Um, obviously, I was in there for Ewing um, with Jamarco Pickett and then Kudus Wahab later on. Um, give even more background. Before the event, the league released the coaches poll and the all-conference teams. Uh, not surprising, Georgetown was picked last. Uh, none of the teams featured on the first, second, or the all the honorable mention team. The league also announced that there's going to be an award named after John Thompson Jr. The league came out with 23 games to be played in December. Georgetown has four dates. And the league still plans on the Big East tournament happening as scheduled. So where do we want to start? I think we should start with the preseason expectations because it seemed like Georgetown Twitter had a little bit of a problem with it, which I find to be kind of odd because the polls have been coming out for different publications for months now. And if Georgetown wasn't last, they were 10th, right? Yeah, it's. I think you'd be hard-pressed to argue them over St. John's and Butler in that 8-9 grouping. Um, and then DePaul, they have the benefit of a senior point guard, a really good young player in Romeo Weems. And I personally would pick Georgetown 10th, but I, have, I can't argue um, putting them in the basement right now. Yeah, and... Um... I think, you know, we were talking a second ago, I think there is probably just that sticker shock of being below DePaul, who, you know, once a very proud basketball program since they've been in the Big East, which is crazy. Now it's it's been like 15 years, um, really nothing to speak of, you know, so to speak. Dave Lato's on his second tour. So I think anytime you see yourself below DePaul, maybe that's just like, holy hell, what's going on? But, you know, if unless you fell asleep, you know, in the mid, you know, in 2015 or something, this is where Georgetown has been hanging out and they lost an incredible amount of players. Ewing himself, when asked about this said, if I looked at it, you know, if, if I looked at everyone that we've lost, I'd pick us last too. And, you know, they're, that that's kind of where they are right now. And I, I don't think that that should be too much of a surprise. Um, but it did seem like it did shock some people. Yeah, I would say there's a pathway for this team to be better than expected, but a lot of that's just unknown. Unknown. How good is the freshman class? What do you change defensively? You, the grad transfer guards you brought in, how well can they be? It's There's just a lot of question marks. And then you're kind of depending on Blair and Pickett to be – your senior leaders to be the steady guys. And you can't really say that either of them have been all that steady the first three years. Um, but it's, I think just if you were just going by Dave Lado versus Patrick Ewing, 
I mean, regardless of what you think of Ewing, I think he's a better coach than Lieto and, and what DePaul has going on. So, but yeah, beyond DePaul, I, I just don't see where the argument really lies right now in the preseason. Yeah, no, I think, I think St. John's was trending up. Um, I never really know about Butler. I'm really, I mean, you know, Georgetown maybe played all their games at Hinkle Fieldhouse. They have a better yeah. record. Um, I'm not particularly a fan of their style at all, but it has worked for them as a program for a long time now. But yeah, it you know, they can only exceed or match expectations, which I suppose is nice. Like they can't, they can't do worse. Um, I think the interesting thing, you know, 20 game season this year, I feel like there's a lot of different ways you could end up at five and 15, six and 14, where, it could just be a mess and nothing looks positive going forward or the young guys show some spark. Ewing changes some things schematically and that five and 15 record leaves you with optimism. So I think it's going to be a tough year, just wins and losses regardless, but there's different ways you can navigate yourself to that. Yeah. And I've been telling a lot of people just in conversations about Georgetown that, and just in college basketball in general, that you never want to have a season where, you know, you're picked to be 11th and you don't really know what's going on. But based on the fact that we don't know if this season will play out like it's supposed to, if you had to pick a time to be like this, it might be this season. Because if you're sitting there, you know, with a a great hand, like your Villanova, your Creighton, Mm -hmm. and you know, you want to get that season in. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying Georgetown doesn't want to, but I think from the perspective of it's kind of a lost season anyway in this really weird year where you don't know what's going to happen, this is when you would pick to have it, if that makes sense, I think. Definitely. I mean, you get the freshman class, you play them, you get their feet wet. You have a free roll, really, with scholarships this year where, you know, the seniors, if they want to come back, they'll have that opportunity. And it's just, it's not going to be a normal season. I mean, if we play 25 games, that's a success in itself. Um, there's going to be hiccups. You're just hoping to get through it. Um, we know they haven't had kids on campus really until I think it was mid-September when Georgetown kids finally showed up. So they're already behind. Um, so this is a year to work through. Just try to build towards the future. Keep the recruits you have. Um, lined up right now and just just try to get that snowball going forward so i went back and i looked from a historical perspective and i know that i mean this goes back to before ewing was a player so it covers it covers a lot of ground but georgetown is they are the one team that's never finished in last syracuse never did it or you know there's teams that have left Mm -hmm. but of the teams that you have um, Connecticut was bad when the league started. Um, yeah, Villanova even had a terrible year uh, er, in in the in the early nineties. Georgetown, had, even though they've been the they've been a twelve seed and a thirteen seed in the Big East tournament, that was obviously mm-hmm. when there was more teams. So Georgetown's never been an eleven seed in the Big East tournament, and they've also never finished in dead last. So if I was Ewing, if I was the program, I would probably, you know, not that you can manufacture motivation, although I know teams always try that would be the thing of like look we're georgetown i know we're rebuilding you know we don't finish in last and that Mm -hmm. would be what i would try and focus on from a from a team perspective yeah i mean i 
it's hard to say a year in which you would finish 10th or 9th is going to be a success, but I think this year probably would qualify. Um, just because DePaul and St. John's aren't the bottom feeders they've they've been the last, you know, handful of years. Yeah, and, and I think for most fans that have stuck with it, you know, a lot of fans, you know, their interest wanes when the program dips like this in any sport. I think that for the fans that are that are still really engaged, you awesome fans that are listening to this, I think that they're already focused on the next year anyway, right? Like, a, like I think a lot of fans have their foot in the next season of paying attention because the class that's coming in has a lot of really good pieces. And I think that this group, if they can continue to play like the last group did with, you know, with Jagan, with Allen and just going out there, I think it's, it's going to be, it sounds weird. I think, and I'm not trying to do, you know, people that know me, I'm not always the glass half, half full type person, the rose colored glasses. But I do think if this team can continue to show what they did last year, and it's a completely different group, except for four of the guys, um, I think that they're going to be fan favorites. And I think most people have already accepted this season and they're, they just want to see some glimpse of what can happen mixed in with the talented freshmen that are coming in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like I was saying, there's a lot of ways you can get to a bad record. I mean, last year's team went five and 13, but I don't think maybe until the very end, it just, it didn't feel that way. It left you, it, it was an enjoyable season despite those losses. Um, the kids played hard. Uh, they I mean, they brought it every game as much as they could. So that's all you hope for. It is a transition year. You just have to get to that next year and then really get it rolling. I mean, it's keep the kids in the recruiting class and just get it going from there. One of the things Ewing said, and then we'll move on to the schedule, he said it's definitely a restart. And Mm -hmm. I know – that we are where we are because of all the things that happened. But I, you know, I know that the people that were annoyed or shocked to see that Georgetown was 11th, that makes sense. Uh, you know, like they're 11th, like they get it. But I think as a fan base, it's, it is tough to hear that you're having a restart after never fully getting in gear. They came really, really yeah. close last December. It looked like that's a tournament team. You got Terrence Williams coming in, like it, it's clicking. So to have a reboot after your first product never really like, you know, hit the shelves, that's probably like the toughest part, right? Yeah, to be in I mean, first to kind of bottom out at the end of or really not even the end of year three, midway through year three, and then year four come back and say, Well, it's a restart. Yeah. I guess you could argue Ewing having the long runway he's gonna be afforded works in his favor. I mean, if he doesn't, if he's you know, your average coach who doesn't have the legacy and the history on his side, does he recruit as well as he did this off season? You know, can he map things out two, three years from now, which he's afforded the luxury to it. And I think all things considered, some things were beyond his control that he should get a chance to see this, um, the restart through. So I think it's, it's just tough. It's, it's been a tough year all around. I mean, coaching changes even assistant coaching changes weren't going to happen you just you gotta let them see this through again and to see it through there has to be a schedule we know that georgetown's playing in 25 games they actually at the time 
they were one of the first teams to say, hey, you know what, we're not going down to Florida for the Wooden Classic. And there was, you know, there was some, oh, you know, here gets Georgetown doing this again, all that kind of stuff. And um, I know at the time, I kind of felt a little bit like that, but because of what's going on with in the world, you you know, the track record aside, it just was like, okay. But now they look like one of the smarter programs in the country, which they should be. They're Georgetown that all those events aren't even happening. So that's how you get down to 25 games. We know that, or we think, right, that two of them are at Syracuse and then West Virginia coming in. The Gavitt games are off but the big 12 challenge is still happening. So that, that really only leaves you three games. And honestly, I don't know about you, but in an ideal world that just makes, we're just doing reasonable, rational decisions. I think that those three games should be Howard, AU and GW. Now we know they haven't played GW and since Ewing was playing, but to me, that makes the most sense, but we're basically waiting on those three games. And, um, if you've noticed, none of the other DC schools have announced their schedule. So, you know, every every locale is doing things differently, and we don't really know exactly what what DC is up to. But those those would be the three games. Now we do have Big East games, and when you're picked eleventh, whoever you play is going to kind of be well, you're the underdog, right? I mean, that's just by definition. But they they do open up regularly, like you know, relatively almost as hard as you can, right? Hosting Villanova and then hosting UConn, their schedule kind of looks like an Ivy League schedule where you kind of like play twice in a weekend. You know, they're mm-hmm. playing a Friday, Sunday, and then the following week they're playing a Sunday, Wednesday at St. John's at Seton Hall. That's a pretty tough stretch, right? I mean, it would probably be harder to do better than one and three. Yeah, I, I think you'd take one and three out of that. Um, <laughs> it's. I mean, the Villanova one especially, I, I think they're trying to be almost as good as they have been really in this last five, six-year run they've had. And then UConn, um, I think with them, you know what you're going to get now with, with Danny Hurley. They're going to play as hard as anybody, and they're going to defend. So you better be ready to go for that one. But I think your point on those extra games is perfect. Keep it local. You would have a nice upstart mid-major in GW. Howard has a little more buzz with the way they've recruited. And then you have American thrown in there. I think that's a nice balance. And just logistically, that's what makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to leave, you know, the district. They don't have to leave the district. Um, I, I'm sure it's not as simple as that. Although they have played AU and Howard, you know, fairly regularly in the last, you know, in like whatever you want to call like the modern, like more recent era. So that wouldn't be too much of a stretch. Although, have they played Americans since they've lost some coaches? You know, I'm not sure if they've played Americans since some of the JT3 guys went there. Yeah, that was the connection. I thought they would have played them. It feels like they did, but maybe not. Yeah. But anyway, so, you know, or normally... They would... them this, this past year, they played American. Okay. Yeah. That seems like 20 years ago. Um, I guess, you know, before saying that, I can, you know, I can say... The coaches, Paul, Villanova was one, Creighton was two, Providence was three, Connecticut back was four, a, a tight a tight four just over Seton Hall, five. And that, those are probably, in my opinion, like your guaranteed tournament teams. And then you get into the point of Marquette and Xavier, six and seven. Those are probably bubbles. And then Butler, eight, St. John's, nine, DePaul and Georgetown. And honestly, 
it wasn't even tight at the bottom. Georgetown had 13 yeah. points. DePaul had 20. You know, it wasn't even like a squeaker. It was, yeah, you got you guys are last. So, did you have any sort of um, issues with the uh, the way the way that the uh, coaches see it? Not really. Um, I probably flipped Providence and UConn, and then, uh, I mean, that might be my only gripe there. I, I flipped Georgetown to Paul, but other than that, I'd, I'd probably be right in line with them. I think I'd probably flip Providence and Seton Hall. I think that's, mm-hmm. I think, I, th- I mean, I know that Providence did a great job in the league, but they got off to a really bad start last year in the non conference. Um, that kid from UMass that was really overly confident took him yeah. a long time to uh, fit in. And I, as much as I like Ed Cooley, when I hear him speak, I don't really in love with the way that their teams play. Um, I generally, and, you know, I had Kevin McNamara on a couple of weeks ago and he's a great college basketball resource. Um, I don't really love the Friars as much as most people do, but I, to me, it looks like it's like a five bid plus, you know, it's hard to count Xavier out, you know, Marquette. I'd want to see what they're like without Marcus Howard. Maybe they'll be better. That's possible. But I, it looks to me like probably a five to a seven bid league. I would agree with that. Um, I mean, who knows this year what the smaller schools, I mean, everybody's scheduling. I mean, who knows what happens, strength of schedule, the net. I, it's just anybody's guess. But I think in a traditional year, I think you would be, I would probably put the number at five. I would agree. Yeah. And I think, I think the best they've done in the reset big East is seven out of 10. So you add Connecticut who, you know, is probably going to make out better on the steel than the rest of the league. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, So I think as a league, you're probably hoping that you're always getting around six and that's probably where they are. Conference preseason player of the year. That just, you know, this is where I really want to get your your expertise on just the player of the year and the all-league teams. I'm just not – I'm not wowed at all. No. I mean, we were talking about is there an <laughs> NBA player in this mix. And yeah. the guy I would pick, I think most people, the, the kind of draft community would agree, is Book Knight from UConn. But once you get past him – and that's still more of an upside thing with him right now. Um, I think Justin Moore would have a shot, and then Scruggs maybe. But it's there's just not a lot of top-end talent this year. I mean, my pick for player of the year would actually probably be Gillespie. Even saying that, I know he has his limitations, but I think just as solid as he is running the show for them. Um, I was a little bit surprised at uh, the Creighton point guard getting that nomination. Um I would go Gillespie, but it's just, I mean, when Sandro from Seton Hall is a first teamer, it just kind of tells you um, the top of the league. It's just not, especially compared to last year when you have Marcus Howard and Miles Powell, who were not, you know, NBA guys, but they were elite college players. And I just don't see that this year. I mean, I, you know, never wanted to see Miles Powell against Georgetown again, you know, that that was one of the things going up to New York. It was very unlikely Georgetown was gonna was gonna play them, but man, that guy. I mean, his. I mean, he started to shoot the ball poorly last year, but just didn't matter because you have to pay so much attention to him. That you know, and I read comments from the Seton Hall kids that 
you know, they think they'll be just as good. They have more balance. But when you lose a guy like that, the, I mean, the whole thing really can, can crater out. So it'll be interesting. You know, I thought that there was a chance for Jamarco to be on the honorable mention team. Now, I don't know the way they did it. They, it seems odd that the honorable mention team is only two guys. Both of them are transfers. Carton for Marquette, who I believe was at Ohio State, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, Aiken, who we know, he's at he's at Seton Hall. He was he was at Harvard. Um, I thought I thought Jamarco had a chance. I thought Jamarco played well at the end of the year. I know that obviously McClung was the one that tested the waters, but I thought Jamarco it actually in a normal season where you would have actually had workouts and gone to places. I think. I think it would have made a lot of sense for him. So I was a little surprised, but you know, look, when you're the 11th place team, that's, you know, there's a reason you're 11th and you know, the 11th place team is not going to put guys on any of the first, you know, two teams or honorable mention team, but I do think they have a shot. And, you know, one thing Ewing's been really good at is getting guys on the all freshman team. I mean, that, that didn't happen last year, but the previous, the previous two years, he had five guys total, you know? Um, So I think, Again, Georgetown season is going to be about getting better. And while I think there's a chance for Cutis and for Jamarco to end up on one of these teams at the end of the season, I think that the more likely is that you get some players from Georgetown on the all freshman or rookie team, however however the league describes it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how playing time shakes out um, because I would like to see Dante Harris play. I'd like to see Kobe Clark. But they now have some grad transfers ahead of them who, I mean, I think you can pretty much pencil in Jalen Harris and Don Carey for 25, 30 ish minutes. So it would be interesting to see how Ewing navigates that. Cause I, I would assume he wants to get those young guys some playing time, but there's upperclassmen ahead of them that are just a little more advanced right now. Um, and my hope and kind of the wild card for me this year has been, how much of a jump can Wahab make? I think in a perfect world, he kind of ends up being your most impactful player, even if he's not your leading scorer. Or, you know, Jamarco might get the headlines, but yeah. I think he kind of holds the keys to if this is actually going to be a representable team this year. Yeah, and so I think I already read the best quotes from Ewing. Um, you know, he said he would have picked them last. He said it's a restart. He didn't, you know, he did say that he's going to need a lot from Javon and Jamarco, but he wasn't giving out. And this might be due to Georgetown, I think more than any school has had the fewer practices and fewer get togethers. But, you know, I wouldn't expect him to actually announce the starting lineup. That's not something that I would think, even though I don't think it would be, I guess I would say, I don't think if he said who he thought his best five were right now, it would necessarily put them at a, you know, a strategic disadvantage, like giving opponents more, more time to get ready or whatever. But I was a little surprised that he wouldn't, he wouldn't lean into so-and-so, you know, so-and-so has been sticking out, you know, he could say anybody really. And he could say that person just to possibly motivate the kid below him. You you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, So I was not totally surprised, but maybe just a little disappointed that he didn't say something like, Hey, you know what? Like we got something in Kobe Clark, you know, just, I mean, like anybody, like yeah, I'm not, yeah. I have no idea who it would have been, but I think that the fan base that is still active would have just, just fallen over on anything like that. Yeah. 
I guess, I mean, people, I think we're kind of reaching at the repeated mentions of Ego Fe, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's really anybody's guess. I I have hopes for him. I think there's a lot of untapped upside there, but it's, yeah, it would have been nice to hear him single out one of the freshmen, especially. Yeah, just anything. Um, he Oh, so I actually did ask Cutis. Cutis and, like I said, Cutis and Jamarco were the guys that spoke for the players. Blair actually did. He wasn't part of the normal, the kids that they brought out, but Blair did like a separate Big East um, Q&A. I didn't get to see any of that stuff, and it wasn't available to the media, um, at least at least live. But I did ask Cutis if, we, if he thought that there was sets or there was times where he could fit on the court with Ego F.A., he said, you know, he gave a very, very company answer of, well, whatever coach, you know, wants, I, I'm going to do and all that kind of stuff. So then I try to ask it a different way. And I said, well, do you feel like you can play the four or are you strictly a center? And he said he felt like he's been working. And, you know, I mean, I wouldn't expect him to say no, but mm-hmm. he did say that, you know, he felt like like he could play the four. And then that's not to say I want to see him shooting threes. Yeah. Um, you know, because normally every off season your big men can shoot from half court, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna run, 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 all this stuff. But you know, knowing who know, knowing who Pat is and knowing that obviously he likes centers, um, having two of your more experienced players on the court at the same time would be a benefit because it wasn't really something they could do last year. It's something I feel like you're going to get certain times, maybe against the Seton Hall, where they play big a lot of the time, um, where you could get away with it for a couple of minutes, see how it goes. Um, it's, I think offensively, it just, it might just cramp spacing too much to get away with it. Yeah. But defensively, I think you're looking for any answer this year. And if it involves two of them, maybe playing zone on the back line. Um, the most encouraging comment for me out of the whole day from Wahab was that they're actually practicing more drop coverage and pick and roll defense. Oh yeah, we've gone over, we've gone over plenty on the pod, um, <laughs> and that that to me would be one of that's maybe the biggest thing I'm looking for this year is just to change that defensive scheme. So that was great to hear. Hopefully, we see that this year. Um, but those two, and then you throw Wilson in, which Ewing hasn't backed off the idea that he's going to be a contributor. You have three seven-footers pretty much who, I mean, two of them are going to play, and who knows what you get out of Wilson. So, you know, it's it's certainly a look that we could see at times just to, I mean, this year more than anything, it's time to experiment. I mean, it's, it's a free year to try new ideas, see what sticks, what you can carry with you going forward. And speaking of that, I think that everyone needs to sort of wrap their heads around the idea of what their record is going to look like. So you mentioned last year they were 5-13 and 13 in the league, which going into your last game, Georgetown's record I think was 15-16. and 16. Mm-hmm. So you're, 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 you're taking away some of your, um, your cupcakes, your high calorie. You know, what did uh, Jimmy Johnson say when he got to the Cowboys? Something like, yeah, you know, no, I was at Miami. You kind of look at your schedule and like, where, where's, where's East Carolina? And then, mm-hmm. you know, he yeah. said, well, shit, we're East Carolina. Like, <laughs> you know, so, so, um, 
let's just say they have a, something like a four and 16 record in the league. You know, Syracuse, I mean, you're looking at a 25 game record. That's going to really sort of stick out more than normal because you don't get your added fluff in there. You've added two big East games, which is basically like adding two power five games, right? That's who Connecticut is. So I think that in this restart, that's one other thing is, you know, just like there was the sticker shock on being 11th in the polls. I think that some people might realize halfway through the season, Oh wow, this 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 record's not going to look that great. No, it it could be ugly, and especially I don't know what date that West Virginia, if there even is a date right now. But no, I would also just word of warning, just for people to brace themselves with with whatever result that might be, because that West Virginia team this year is probably top ten good, and they they might really beat you up. So it's it's going to be tough. Um, I mean, I can't even remember. So 15 and 17 this past year, just looking up, like the 04 team was 13 and 15. I think most people would say that might have been the low point of the last yeah. X amount of years of the program. So they, ba- they backed into the tournament, into yeah. the Big East. The Big East, yeah. Tournament. So it's this year could be a year like no other for sure. Yeah, no, I think you're looking at like seven and eighteen, right? Yeah, eight, eight, eight and seventeen. I mean that you know. Um. So COVID, Marquette is on a 14 day pause. Um, Villanova earlier this year, I don't think it was as bad as Marquette, but I think that they had to stop at the recommendation of the NCAA, whatever it is they were doing. Um, Ackerman said that she wouldn't rule out a bubble but she wants to try the travel schedule first. And that's why the, you know, the second part of the the league schedule isn't even set yet because they don't know, you know, exactly like, you know, is this going to work? Can, can this work? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Kevin Willard, who, you know, I guess it makes sense because he's a Patino guy and his dad's, you know, a coach. Um, I did not get on, get in on his zoom, but I had a really good conversation with him. Last year, um, outside the Seton Hall locker room, he didn't come into the media room. Um, I think he's quickly becoming the best quote in the league. I didn't get a chance to listen to Jay Wright. But so they were part of one of those MTEs in Orlando that's not happening. And when he was asked, like when I asked Ewing about his schedule, Ewing was just like, oh, you know, we're, we're you know, we're, we're getting close. He was very diplomatic. We're getting close. There's some restrictions. We're, you know, we're trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas Willard just comes in hot and says that, um, I wouldn't even use disaster right now. It's too light of a term when talking about his non-conference schedule. It's just a total shit show. <laughs> so one, what, how worried are you about COVID affecting the everything? Or do you think there'll be a bubble? And two, am I wrong in deciding and anointing Kevin Willard as the best, the, you know, the voice of the big East? I don't think you're wrong with that. He, uh, he would be up there. Um, probably next to Jay Wright and Cooley. Um, yeah, but he's—I mean, obviously he's not wrong. It's—I think it's anyone's guess right now. My hope is just—I think what's especially tricky right now is just the lead-up. I mean, you see cases just surging everywhere right now. So, what happens before Thanksgiving right now might be the biggest worry. I mean, if a team 
if you have a positive that shuts everything down for two weeks, say on November 18th, where does that leave you if you have games scheduled um, right after Thanksgiving? So it's if they can somehow, I mean, it seems like they have a buffer in there that would allow them to play makeup games at a later date, if I'm not wrong. Um, and then if you can get to the Big East tournament and then just bubble everybody, I, I think that's your best hope. And hopefully just don't have any prolonged shutdowns with any of the 11 teams. It, it's, it seems unfortunate to think that we could be right back to where we were last March when this yeah. all fell apart in the Big East tournament, because it, it sounds like the reason that the Orlando bubbles didn't work was because the big 12 and the SEC couldn't agree upon. Um, I think it was testing players after 90 days, if they had already been positive once. Mm-hmm. So, well, when you get to the NCAA tournament, like you're, you're, pl- you know, you're not playing teams in your conference. Yeah. Um, and, even more so, like the Big East, for example, you know, Marquette, when I had Kevin McNamara, I think it was last week, might have been two weeks ago, I had him on, you know, and he's just like, Bobby, Wisconsin's bad right now. You know, and I think yeah. the next day, Marquette came out like, hey, we have to pause. Well, you know, Creighton's in Nebraska, you know, we got DePaul out there. Um, you, you know, I'm not sure what's going on in Ohio. You know, the fact that the leagues, you know, it's not just the Big East. The, and the, the Big East expansion was all reactionary. So it's not like mm-hmm. I'm like trying to like, you know, pound on the Big East here. But when you have a league and all the leagues are like this spread out. So, you know, you know, Nebraska and D.C., like what do they have in common? Like literally nothing. Right. Yeah. So I think that's that is going to be a real challenge. And it does seem, you know, I, I think I agree with Willard that like, you know, if the kids are doing remote learning anyway, put them somewhere, put, you know, uh, Kevin and I were talking about put them at, Mo- at uh, Mohegan Sun. Like, yeah, you know, and they're, you know, they're on, they're on their laptops. I mean, I've, I've been working from home like everyone else for the last seven or eight months, you know? So mm-hmm. it does seem like if you don't bubble, how are you going to do it? I mean, we, you know, we're seeing in football right now, right? Like the big 10 just came back. Nebraska is trying to sue to play like some crappy FCS school. Wisconsin's yeah. not playing because they're down to like their fifth quarterback. Like how's this going to work? <laughs> no, it's, it is scary. Uh, I'll be happy if the season tips off when it's supposed to, and then you just hope for minimal disruptions. But, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that could go wrong, even just in the next week. I mean, who knows? It's, uh, yeah, unprecedented times. These are are very unprecedented times. Um, In sticking with, with Willard, he was having some fun. I know he's he's known as you know sarcastic and having a dry wit and all that stuff, um, which I can definitely I can definitely relate to. Um, he's kind of taken the stance against UConn, at least kind of in a half joking way that I've taken as well. Which is you know mm-hmm. he said it he, he said it sucked it sucked to have them back in the Big East. <laughs> he said that he didn't vote for it. Um, you know which the coaches I don't you know. <laughs> The coaches did not have a vote on this, but um, you know what? What do you think? I mean, on you know the the Big East has been better than I thought it would be. I was really worried when everything broke away. You're you know you're losing Louisville, you're losing West Virginia, you're losing Syracuse. Um, I'm probably forgetting someone else that actually mattered in about. Yeah, you you lost Connecticut, 
And I was like, wow, this is all to Georgetown and Villanova. And then Georgetown, except for one year, is really taking a back seat. But then you had Seton Hall, where, where Willard is. Um, Providence have filled that void. Xavier kept being Xavier. Butler has been Butler um, mainly in the league. And Creighton has been good. Um, so I'm surprised and pleasantly surprised that the Big East has been as good as it has while waiting for Georgetown and St. John's to kind of pull their weight. Um, so it's not like the league completely needed Connecticut, but I really think Connecticut needed the league. Oh, it, it definitely saved them. It was a lifeline for them. Um, I'm sure they'll enjoy playing these Big East games more than the trips to East Carolina and Tulsa. But, <laughs> I mean, as a Big East fan, I, I do like having them back. I I think there's upside for the league. Um, I think UConn as a program now is on the way up again uh, with Hurley. And I don't know. I It makes it tougher on recruiting, makes it tougher to win. But if you can't beat UConn and Dan Hurley, I mean – you kind of have to look in the mirror. I, I just, I, I don't know. It's not Jim Calhoun in the early 2000s coming in just to, to own everything. So I, I think they're a good competitive team that'll it'll be a good challenge for everybody, but I, I like having them back. Yeah, I think philosophically I agree with that. And maybe if Georgetown was where I think they should be, which is a wake up every year, you're a top four team in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't believe it's been so long since they've been that way, but I still in my head feel like that's their, that's their rightful place. I don't know if that's too arrogant, but that's kind of where I envision them. If I have to close my eyes, yeah. Um, you, you know, and so if, if, if Georgetown has their normal place, who cares? But now, you know, Georgetown just got knocked down from 10th to 11th. Right. Mm-hmm. And at, at the expense of a team that, is probably like everyone else going to try and recruit the WCAC kids, uh, Baltimore kids. You know, they've done really well in Baltimore, as you know. Um, you know, Willard has, you know, lost a recruit to them already. And he has a pretty good thing here. He says, this is, I think, in a Zagoria um, article. Uh, I can't tell recruits what now, you know, hey, what's it going to be like to play at Tulane, to play at East Carolina, yeah. to play at Tulsa? Um, you know, now we have, we have, we have to recruit against them again. And that, that's a big mm-hmm. deal. And, you know, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's great. It's going to help the Big East tournament, but I'll tell you what, I don't know if you've been to the Big East tournament ever or since the, the, the new league, I can't believe how great it's been. I can't believe Creighton fans come to it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I haven't been. The last time I was there was actually the, the final Syracuse Georgetown game in 2013. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm not surprised with Creighton. I mean, they travel well. It's, I think the best thing for the Big East is Creighton has kind of elevated their program. Um, you know, I think when we first took them on, I was like, okay, they have McDermott there. Once he leaves and goes to the NBA, what's left? Are they just going to be a bottom feeder? But that's not been the case at all. Um, so they've been great. It's, I mean, when you really look at it, you know, when it formed again, or originally formed in 2014, and you would have said Villanova is going to go on this six-year run, you would have been like, okay, we're in, this is great. And you would think Georgetown's right there with them. Right. If you look at any program in the Big East, who's not pulled their own weight? Sadly, it is Georgetown by by a good margin. Yeah, they even... um they finished second in the second year of the new big East 
But like in the first year and then the third and the fourth, like Georgetown was still preseason. They'd gotten two a couple times. I think they were four. I mean, you know, they were still because, and I know everything changes so fast, but when the league was formed, Georgetown was the Villanova. Now, obviously they hadn't won national championships, but you know, they were the team that kept getting top seeds in the tournament. And, yeah. You know, they were, they were the more, they were the more uh, consistent school. And, um, you know, for as much as it's great to get Connecticut back, I think the league would really benefit to get Georgetown back. Um, The announcement of the award, John Thompson Jr. Award, it's an award honoring uh, the late Hoyas coach. Um, It's going to recognize efforts to fight prejudice and discrimination and advance positive societal change. Now, an interesting, this is an award that can go to an individual, a team, or an athletic department it's going to be voted on by a committee, by a committee which will include a Thompson family member. It's not clear who. Um, maybe, maybe Tiffany, maybe, maybe JT three, Ronnie. I, you know, I don't know. I guess Ronnie's part of the program, so maybe there might be a conflict of interest. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I think it's definitely an awesome thing. Um, I think it's great the Big East did it. Um, I almost feel like maybe this should be a national award, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm just saying that I think that my view of John Thompson Jr. as far as NCAA basketball is, you know, Val Ackerman said that, you know, he helped, you know, put the Big East on the map, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But I also think that he was just such a major voice, not just, you know, not just contained to the league. Yeah. No, but, it's great. I mean, you make the Mount Rushmore of Big East people. I think he's he's there with a bullet. Um, he's there's no Big East without him, so it's great to honor him in some form or fashion. Um, it's going to be weird not having him around, but just carry on his legacy somehow is all you can hope to do. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 like I like I said, I don't know if it was to you or up to other other people, Andrew or Ben or someone else on here, is that the fact that we didn't have the Kenner League, um, you know, we, there mm-hmm. hasn't been these these places to see him. Um, he was at fewer games last year than probably I can remember. Um, so, you know, it was kind of, kind of coming, but it's still, I think whenever the world gets back to normal, which hopefully won't take as long as it seems like it is, um, I think his impact and, you know, missing his, his stature and his, his voice and just his presence, I think will sort of hit again, even though he passed away at the end of August, I think it'll sort of hit people, at least me it'll hit them again when those opportunities, those chances of, you know, getting a quick comment from him or just sort of being around him and hearing him talk about something. I think it'll kind of hit again because everyone's kind of secluded, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, so did you know, did you know that Jamarco and Javon have a chance if everything goes right to be the first set of Georgetown teammates to go over a thousand since Chris and Austin did it. I did not know that. That would not have been my guess. Um, There's a couple close calls, but like gonna, for instance, my guess would have been Jesse and LJ would have been my guess. But they I weren't, guess maybe they didn't overlap, but did they only have one year together? They weren't in, they, I'm, I'm talking about classmates. Okay. Coming in together. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Um, Monroe and um, 
Jason Clark, but Monroe left. Um, you know, so some of that is kind of, you know, based on those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but if they play 25 games, uh, Javon's got to average about 11. If they play 25 games, Jamarco's got to average about seven. If those guys don't average that, their record's going to be worse than what I was hypothesizing yeah. like a couple minutes ago. <laughs> so I think that while their careers, and they still have a year, possibly two, as you mentioned, while their mm-hmm. careers and the postseason success hasn't been there, I do think that there is a lot to be said about these two kids that came in right after a coaching change. And particularly for Javon, who at one point last season was the 11th man in a 10 man rotation Yeah, to the longevity and sticking with it. I mean, you know, kids like Javon, like in that situation, he could have been like, well, I'm transferring too. I'm not playing. You know, he was clearly the biggest benefactor of the playing time opening up last year, because like I said, he was, he was sort of not, he, he, he didn't get off to a hard, to a hot start. Um, but it's, it's sort of crazy to think about that. They're going to, like, they've going to have that kind of success. I'm not trying to jinx them. I'm not trying to jinx injuries or COVID lost games or anything, but I think that's a pretty, pretty big achievement. And hopefully they will kind of have the season that bridges to the, you know, the next success if they're not part of it. Yeah. I mean, it would have been easy for either of them to say, I'm out of here. I mean, you look at for Blair, he gets recruited over immediately with a Kinjo and Klung and yeah. his playing time kind of went, I mean, I think it, I'd have to look it up, but it feels like it went down drastically a sophomore year compared to the minutes he got as a freshman. And then with Jamarco, I mean, he comes in, top 100 recruit, um, has just the physical profile and upside of an NBA player where he probably mentally is thinking, I'm only going to be here two years. And now for him, hopefully come into his own as a senior and still be here, a local kid. Um, that's what you want in a program. You want four-year players. And especially someone like him, you want a local four-year player. Now, yeah, you're right. So both both Javon and Jamarco were on the all the all Big East freshman team, and they both took dips in um, points, shots, everything as sophomores because of the class that came in. Speaking of the class that came in, could this podcast possibly be complete without McClung news? <laughs> Was there some breaking news? No, it was just yesterday. There, you know, I've got on my on my tweet deck. I've got a, a I got a column for Georgetown, a column for Hoyas, um, some other columns. But some reporter down in Lubbock was was tweeting that Chris Beard said Georgetown was cooperating with McClung to be immediately eligible. Um, yes. You know, the McClung stories just can't. They they just they just can't end. I mean, I just assumed everyone this year was going to be eligible. Um, yeah. Probably, honestly, probably one of the you know one of the factors that you know if there was a scale of for him to stay or leave, you know, I think that probably went on the positive, not the positive side, but on the leave side, right? Of mm-hmm. you know, if if there is a season, who knows? If there is one, everyone's probably going to be eligible. Like blah blah blah. Um, I thought it was good to see that. I mean, there would definitely be no reason to, you know, 
to lay it or you know to challenge it i, I mean it's that's that's only going to be used against you negatively um but i'm going to be honest i don't follow mcclung on twitter or instagram or i'm too old for tiktok although i tried um <laughs> i hadn't thought about him in a long time no i i think you're right the reality of it is there's a good chance he's going to get that waiver regardless so what good does it do if you're trying to hold it up it's i he didn't want to be here. It's. I think it caught the program off guard, but it doesn't feel like there's much bad blood. So it's. Let him play. I mean, it's. I don't see the point of holding it up. There's there's nothing positive that can come from doing that. Um, it's. I haven't really paid attention to him either. I think it'll be interesting to see how he does this year. He's going to have his work cut out just to to get the minutes and the role he wants because that Texas Tech team is pretty loaded now this year. So it'll be interesting to follow him for a di- from a distance for sure. I, I, I didn't realize that they got the kid from uh, VCU. Yeah, the big kid. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of an A-10 guy. I'm, you know, I'm usually find a way to figure out how to work some Mason games as much as I can. And that's a that's a big blow for them. Like that kid's that kid's pretty yeah. good. I'm not saying he's a pro, but he's a really good college player. Um, so I mean, Texas Tech somehow is just keep reloading in freaking Lubbock. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, DC, Richmond, Lubbock, those places. One of them doesn't really fit in, as far as I'm concerned. No, but basketball wise they kind of have it they have it rolling um ewing talked about he knows the defense needs to get better and to keep it on mcclung which i'm sure everyone's going to tweet at me like shut up i am you know i'm not that interested in seeing how leblanc does at lsu i will definitely you know if i see stuff i'll you know i'm not going to like you know close my eyes um (laughs) same with the kinjo actually i'm probably if i had to rank them i'm LeBlanc, I'm not that interested in at all. Like, I, I, I don't wish him any any ill will. I am interested in how an Akinjo and McClung do two different ways. Akinjo needs to be a little bit, in my opinion, less selfish and needs to find a way to shoot a higher percentage of two-pointers, particularly around the rim. And McClung, can they get him at Texas Tech to play any defense? And if they can, mm-hmm. that's going to sort of be a reason to look back over here and say, hey, what is it that, you know, this staff isn't doing with the defense where McClung's actually doing, you know, actually actually trying on, you know, defense or at least fitting in? Yeah, it's I, – I think I would expect them to be better defensively just because that's what Chris Beard does. I think the yeah. interesting thing with both of those kids is they kind of left an opportunity where on the court as guards, they kind of had free reign over everything. I mean – Absolutely, the, absolutely. The focus was – Jesse and this year was Omir, but Ewing was not going to, you know, scold them for playing with pace, taking shots, kind of doing their own thing. Where now McClung goes into a situation where if he wants to be a point guard, I, I'm not sure it's going to happen this year. And Chris Beard is kind of old school motion offense. Defense is our focus. And then despite Arizona's, you know, lineage with point guards, which they do have, hasn't really been that way with Sean Miller where they're kind of a big man oriented system and program anyway. So, I mean, they went for greener pastures hoping for a different role, but I, maybe it works out perfectly for both of them, but it's, 
at least on the court and the role that they had, they I think they left the place where they had more freedom as, as guards. I totally agree, and I think that that, you know, Ewing should be able to walk into any kid's home and say, look, look at what I let these guys do from the f- minute they stepped on the university, mm-hmm. right? Like, look at what, you know, this is how I want to play. This is how I want to play, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be some people maybe, you know, hey, why are they talking about these guys? Well, so we've actually seen these guys play. Um, mm-hmm. When I, I looked down the list, you mentioned it earlier, like I would love to have had a summer of Kenner League to be excited about Dante Harris or yeah. Kobe Clark or, oh, my God, TJ Berger never misses. Or, yeah. the po- you know, the post moves of of uh, Holloway down low is re- like, wow, like this this kid really has some footwork. You know, and like, I, I just, I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say one of the reasons I, I'm not optimistic about this year, but if I was going to be, is I think Jalen Harris is probably the most unselfish guard you've had. I also think he's just the fastest end line to end line. So I think just with the way Ewing wants to play, I think he is a pretty good fit. So he's hopefully he can just pass, pass the torch on to Harris. Um, but I, I think there's, I think those two, both of the Harrises, they fit well with what Ewing has shown he'll allow his guards to do. Yeah, I think I think best case for this team where they sneak into like, can I can I dare say ninth or eighth, is mm-hmm. if you get two really solid seasons from Jamarco and Javon, Cutis handles being the guy in the middle as well as he did in the middle of last season. And he's actually expanded his game. And then you need absolutely, this is absolutely, you need, you need Jalen Harris and Don Carey to walk in from day one and be Mm -hmm. solid contributors. Cause that's not a bad starting five, right? Like, no, I, I think that is your five for sure. Yeah. You know? So like, if those are your five guys, and then, you know, I know that you had some reservations about, about Sibley. I know everybody wants to talk about him because he is the highest rated recruit. He had some injuries and this and that. But if you can get anything out of Sibley and Clark, and then I guess I'm I'm leaving out Ego F.A. to spell cutis. You know, I think I, I think I just talked myself into a ninth place finish. It's if those things break correctly. Yeah, it's. uh yeah, if you get that starting five, that's solid, and then one of the freshmen kind of pop as a reliable sixth, seventh man, um, and then the grad transfer from Northwestern State. Um, that, I, I have no of, idea. I have no yeah, idea what to expect. A total wild card, I think. Uh, Just because of the level of play. Yeah, I think there's a wide range of outcomes with him. Yeah, and yeah, I, I'm not trying to disrespect him. I literally, I just see where he was at. I haven't seen a lot of a lot of video, a lot of YouTube on him. That was that's you know he is the grad transfer, but I'm a little, I don't know how much of that was adding a body or, you know, because you know at one point I mean Georgetown, I mean look they're bringing back four guys. Yeah, no, I mean for them to <laughs> land where they did with. Harris and Carey, um, I mean, it, it could have gone a lot worse this offseason, that's for sure. All right, well, I actually never do this, so bear with me. I'm gonna. I'm trying to make an effort to do this. This is a reminder, if you haven't subscribed to Kente Corner, please go ahead and do so when you have the chance. This helps us out. It helps Andrew out. It helps me out. Also, 
if you haven't rated or reviewed and by the way i can't believe some of the great reviews we have i really people are actually too nice um that would be great too if you could do that hopefully you like what you're hearing and if for some reason you don't let me know hit me up on twitter at bobby bancroft and we'll try and do a better job of ideas and guests and what you want to hear if you want to hear nolan break down the different defenses georgetown's going to do this year let us know let us know but nolan i really appreciate it and hopefully next time we speak we will have an actual schedule sounds good bobby thanks for having me you can follow him at nationwide nolan yeah that's right at nationwide nolan sorry i'm at bobby bancroft and we will see you next time